in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, we'll read the whole chapter, beginning of verse 1. John, the apostle, is writing, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for forty-two months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. We're back into the book of Revelation now after a brief hiatus. And I'll give you my pop quiz before we get into the text. We'd like to begin by jogging your memory. It's not going to be a tough one. You remember that there are three sets of judgments in the book of Revelation. You remember what they're symbolized by. Okay, a scroll. Was there something on the scroll scroll that's of more interest to us? What is it? Yes, okay, seven seals, good. Thank you. Seven trumpets. Yeah, even though we haven't read about them yet, that's right. Seven bowls. Very good. These uh, seals, trumpets, and bowls are sort of touchstones for us as we go through the book of Revelation. They're going to give the continuity. First the seals, then the trumpets, and then the bowls. But in between God's commentary about these sequential events of the uh, uh, 21 items just mentioned, there are parentheses, and we're in a parenthesis right now between the trumpets and the bowls. Chapter 13 uh, is in the middle of that parenthesis. The parenthesis began in chapter 10, if you remember. We read about the trumpets in chapter 9. We will read about the bowls in chapter 16. So chapters 10 through 15 is rather a long 
parenthesis between the sequential laying out of the uh, sets of seven. And in this chapter, we are introduced to two personalities. Now, there's an awful lot here, and there are many topics I want to cover in detail. I'm going to have more next week, particularly on the crowns that we read about, uh, this, the whole area of the revived Roman Empire, the politics, as, you, as, it, as it were, of the, uh, the beast. This week, I'd like to focus on two subjects. One is the worship of the beast, and the other is the mark that we read about. So I'll just have a few brief words, uh, and then we're going to get into those two subjects. Notice, first of all, there, there were two beasts. The first was from the sea. You saw that in verse 1. The second came from the land. Now, uh, there may be some symbolism in that. Many believe that uh, because the sea is often uh, a picture of the Gentiles and the land is often a picture of the Jews, that uh, the first beast is therefore a Gentile and the second beast is a Jew. Uh, a burning question possibly in your mind is, who's the Antichrist? Which one? Number one or number two? Well, let's take a moment to just look at that word and how it's used in the Bible. You may be surprised, hold on to your seat here, but the word Antichrist actually doesn't appear in the book of Revelation. And that's a surprise to many people. Actually, it only occurs in two books. Do you know who the author of those books are? Is, excuse me? John, yes. Let's look back at 1 John, and we're going to see where that word, Antichrist, actually appears in the Bible. It's actually only four places. 1 John, chapter 2, is the first place. If we're going to uh, talk about this word, which does come from the Bible, let's then look at God's word and see how he uses it. So we can see, instead of coming in with all these ideas that the world has about the Antichrist and what that word means. Let's see how God uses it and see if we can learn something. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. John writes, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Okay, then down to verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Chapter 4, verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Then over to the second epistle of John. This is the last usage of that word in verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. There it is. You've just read everything the Bible has to say uh, that has the word antichrist anyway in the text. Are you underwhelmed? Yeah, I see some nods there. I remember I was when I first did that, too. We expect to read all about this guy in the last times, you know, the, the guy in Revelation and so on. And yet there is a lot in here. First of all, you, you notice this. It says there are many antichrists. You notice that. And the description uh, that God uses to, to uh, depict an antichrist should ring a bell. If you were reading closely, it should have hearkened back uh, Eric's last message on Colossians. There's a common thread there. Do you know what it is? This, this might require some of the scholars in our midst to answer this one. Eric probably does. Remember the heresy that uh, Paul was refuting in the book of Colossians? What was the name of it? Gnosticism. Well, that's the same heresy that John is refuting here in the book of John. And one of the, if you remember, Eric did a very good explanation of some of the elements of Gnosticism, but one of them was that, remember, God is so pure and so far removed from things that are physical, the material world. Remember that? He, he can't be connected with the material world because matter is where evil is and God is holy. So they came up with this hierarchy, this, this infinite layering, if you will, of beings, angels between God and matter so that he could interact with matter. Do you remember that? 
Yes? I see some blank stares. Either you're not awake or you didn't follow that. Yes? You understand that? God is, is up here, okay, in, in, their, in their worldview. And the world is down here. It's evil. God is holy. And he can't touch. He can't come into contact with physical things. That's, this is their idea. You understand? It, it's prevalent today in Hinduism. Do you know that? They, they believe the same thing. And so the, how, did, how is God going to interact with the world? Well, they invented all these layers of beings from God to the earth. And as you go down these layers of beings, angels, you, they get dirtier and dirtier, so to speak, as you get closer to the earth. And so that's how God can you know, interact with the world without getting contaminated. Well, uh, if you come up with that crazy uh, supposition, then it's horrific to you to think that God would become a man, you see. Man is of the earth. And that's where they rejected the idea that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. They could not, they could not believe that. Okay? And that's... If you saw, that's what uh, John says here, that he who denies that Christ has come in the flesh is Antichrist. That was one of the key doctrines they denied. That's uh, one of the very key foundational doctrines of the Bible, of our salvation. If Jesus Christ was not come in the flesh, he wouldn't die. He didn't die for my sins. Let me uh, be clear. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Amen? Praise God. Those wonderful verses we memorized when we were first saved. John 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word. God the Son. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Praise God. We, the banner behind is, remind us, is reminding us, where it's that time of the year when we're especially reminded that God became a man. Look, look at the first verse of the first epistle of John. I love this verse. This is John the Apostle writing, and he's refuting this, this heresy. And the way he does it, he, he hearkens back to the time when he walked with the Lord Jesus, when he touched him, when he heard him speak as a man, when, when he saw him with his own eyes. This wasn't some spirit being. This was a real man. And you can just see his excitement as he writes these words. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Isn't that wonderful? He's excited. The Holy Spirit has shown him so clearly now. That was God in the flesh that I walked with, that I talked with, that I touched. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to say that? Wow. And so this is where the word antichrist comes from, you see. And it, it's, a, it's a good word because it's the, antichrist really says someone who is the very antithesis, not only against, but the antithesis of the Lord Jesus himself. And it seemed, particularly if you looked at the one in, uh, for example, cha chapter 2, verse 18, uh, it is the last year, and as you've heard, that the antichrist is coming... Even now, many antichrists have come. And from a couple of other verses, it looks like there is one particular one who will be called the Antichrist, as opposed to all these other antichrists, and he is the one to come. And so, it certainly seems that this must be talking about someone who will be prominent in the last days. Okay? And that's how we come to calling one of these two guys in the chapter 13 of Revelation the Antichrist. Are you with me? Okay. Now, question is, which one? Well, people differ. Um, some like to pick the first one because he's a miracle worker. He'll rule the world. Uh, again, a picture of the office of the Lord Jesus, who really alone is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and will rule one day. Others uh, say it's the second. If you notice, he was depicted as a lamb. Uh, if it's true that the symbolism of coming out of the earth means that he's a Jew, then that uh, would make him a good candidate for being the Antichrist. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but I like to pick one when I talk, and I think you've already noticed that I'm, I, I tend to lean toward the first one as the Antichrist. It's not, it's not critical. Uh, you'll live a normal life and, uh, be, and can be wrong about it. I'm probably wrong. But just for ease of reference, I'm going to 
when I say Antichrist, I mean the first beast here. Okay? Now, I said, there's so much here. Um, this whole business of uh, the various kingdoms of the world, the Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire, uh, the involvement of other nations, politics in general. I'm going to save that until next week. Um, I wanted to focus on two things. Really, it's going to be a kind of a, uh, a, a carryover from last week's message. I want to talk about the mark and then the worship of the beast. It's interesting, this word mark, there are many words for uh, mark. One of them, in Greek, is the root word from, from which we get stigmata uh, or stigma. But the word that's used here is actually uh, a word that means engraving. In fact, it's used to describe graven images elsewhere in the New Testament. Grave, to ca- carve. Interesting. Now, last week, I, uh, I mentioned this device that uh, actually was announced last year called the Digital Angel. You remember that? Most of you were here. Or two weeks ago, I, I have to remember, I wasn't here last week. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you, Bill, for standing in the gap. We talked about this device, the Digital Angel. Um, just for those who may not have uh, heard that, it's a device that uh, is smaller than a, a, a grain of rice that uh, can be sewn or surgically inserted under the skin, uh, which, by using the GPS uh, satellites, can uh, constantly um, broadcast your location. And you say, well, why would I want to do that? Well, the, the, right now, the primary advertising for the use of it is for the elderly a shut-in, someone who um, may be seriously injured in the case of a fall or just may be very ill. Uh, they could have this implanted in them. And uh, you ought to visit the website. It's digitalangel.net. It's that simple. And they have a picture there of what the display looks like that's, that you, is generated by the software that gets the readings. And it's wonderful. There's a, there's a city map and a little red X and underneath it gives the actual address of where the person is, their blood pressure, uh, pulse rate, and uh, respiratory rate, the whole bit. Incredible. Isn't that great? It is. It's, it's a boon, really. Uh, it, uh, they're going to work into it, apparently, uh, the capability of detecting whether the person is upright or, or prone. So in the case of a fall, they don't even call 911. A person at the other end, a relative maybe or a friend, can see that something's wrong. Or maybe they can see their heart rate is, is gone up or gone down immediately. Or medical authorities can see it and, and respond right away. Now, uh, it's interesting that uh, when they first announced this thing, um, they were really big on the idea of the surgically inserted idea. And, and I, you remember the connection that we made last week with the mark. It's interesting that this, this word mark, again, does mean graven or carved. Uh, let me give you a little bit of history of how this device has uh, been discussed in the media. Actually, it was announced last year, around November. Um, and they were very open, the company was very open, Applied Digital Solutions is a company, about the fact that they planned on surgically implanting this in people. And at that time, they were very open about the great uses of this thing. Um, let me read it. E- e-commerce is only one field to which Digital Angel applies. Um, the device's patent describes it as a rescue beacon for kidnapped children. Wouldn't that be great? In missing persons. By the way, there already is uh, a use. They're not, they're not the only company that are making things like this, by the way. They're all over the world. And there's another company that makes one. A woman in South Dakota was, set, uh, was uh, snowbound, and she had one of these, and they use it to find her. So it's already finding uses. According to Zhu, the implant will save money, this is uh, the developer of the uh, item, by reducing resources used in rescue operations for athletes, including mountain climbers and skiers. Law enforcement may employ the implant to keep track of criminals under house arrest, as well as reduce emergency response time by immediately locating individuals in distress. It's got great potential, you have to admit it, right? Now, it's interesting... um, People who call themselves Christians really got on the bandwagon when this thing came out. A lot of hype, a lot of stuff on the web, a lot of things even in in journals and publications. And uh, in June of last year, they backed down about pushing the idea that it was going to be an implant. It's very interesting. 
And this is one of the comments. Um, <clears throat> Critics of the monitoring technology fear the development of Digital Angel as an implant for humans, claiming the device could be a fulfillment of biblical prophecy regarding the mark of the beast. And so, as a result, uh, Dr. Lawrence Weber of Digital Angel Corporation, a wholly owned subsidiary of Applied Digital Solutions, told WorldNet Daily the company has, quote, no plan at this time for implant technology. And if you go to the website, digitalangel.net, you'll notice they don't say anything there about implants. They, uh, their first product is going to be a wristwatch that you wear. And it'll, it'll uh, broadcast your location uh, via the web. However, things have changed again. This is uh, from September uh, the 20th. Begins, it's a news story. An American firm is developing a tiny chip implanted under the skin that can track the location of terrorist suspects, new scientists report in tomorrow's issue. A Florida company, Applied Digital Solutions, started work on the chip and then shelved the idea, but has now revived it after the attacks in New York and Washington. Here's a quote. We've changed our thinking since September 11th. Keith Bolton, the company's chief technology officer, said, now there's more of a need to monitor evil activities. Isn't that interesting? They're back to selling the idea of putting it under the skin. Now, as I said, uh, this is not the only device like this. In fact, um, the Israeli version of the CIA, I think it's called the Mossad, uh, developed a device like it in the 90s and uh, the, a company here in this country called Gen Ethics actually <clears throat> uh, made a product from it that could be planted under the skin it's called Sky Eye isn't that good? Sky Eye uh, and when this article was written in 1998 it cost $7,500 to have this little gadget sewn into your body at that time, all the company would say was that 45 uh, of the world's rich and famous had, had it done. And the purpose, this one only uh, broadcast your location, okay, the Sky Eye does. The purpose of it, the concern of the people was uh, as a defense against kidnapping. It says the weird device is being marketed to the world's richest families as protection against the booming worldwide business and abductions which has risen by 60% in the last eight years, especially in impoverished and corrupt countries like Mexico, Chechnya, and the Philippines. In fact, it's interesting, they say that um, in Mexico, Mexican kidnap gangs have begun searching their victims for signs of anything like the sky eye to make sure they don't have one. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't show up on x-rays but it does leave a small scar and that's what they look for well along with <clears throat> this technology there is a converging technology uh, and the two are coming together the other one is called smart card has anybody ever heard of smart cards before here yes it's an all-in-one card uh, if you have a smart card you don't need any other card in your wallet it's a credit card, it's an identification card, it can give you access to, to secure places, um, medical identification, you name it. Any kind of information and privilege you would like is going to be all on this card. Now the ones they're coming out with now have uh, sometimes a subset of, of these functions, but the view is that ultimately there's, there's going to be a card that people will have that will do everything. Uh, I, I had a fun time the other night on the web just uh, finding various uh, references to the smart card. The first one I found was at IBM, and boy, they, they, they talk it up big. Uh, they say, with IBM's multifunction card operating system, that's what they call it, card issuers may benefit from the possibility of cost sharing while consumers can have the convenience of handling only one card. In the future, smart cards could handle multiple tasks for their owners, from providing access to company networks, enabling electronic commerce, storing healthcare information, providing ticketless airline travel and car rentals, and offering electronic identification for accessing governmental services, such as benefit payments and driver's licenses, and so on. They're very careful 
uh, even though they talk about the miniaturization of it, they're very careful not to say that it's not going to be that it's going to be under your skin. I think they learned from the digital angel. So they say smart cards of the future may even stop resembling cards as smart card technology is embedded into rings, watches, badges, and other forms. Factors that will make them remarkably convenient to use. Uh, actually, our, our, we are behind other nations in the development of smart cards. They're really big in Europe. They're catching hold. And uh, Europe is quickly moving to the uh, universal use of smart cards. We're just getting on the bandwagon. And we actually uh, have now two uh, organizations that are working with our government and implementing smart, smart cards in this country. One of them is called Smart Card Alliance. You can find out about it by going to our government's website. They have a lot of big write-ups about the efforts of going forward right now, all the meetings and so on, in trying to move our country in this direction. Go to egov.gov or go to the gsa.gov, Government Services Administration. You'll find a lot of web pages about Smart Alliance and the other group that's working with the government in this area. And they're excited about it, particularly after September 11th, interestingly enough. What intrigued me was the name of, there are a lot of companies out there, by the way, getting into this, and what, what intrigued me was the names of some of the companies. Active Card is, is one of them, developing a, a product like this. MasterCard International, by the way, is in on it. Data Card, Catuity Incorporation. This is what I like, Cybermark. Isn't that interesting? They have a news bulletin about developments in this area, and it's, hap it's, it's moving so quickly that uh, they can hardly keep up with the, the changes as they go. But it's, it's becoming ubiquitous. It's, it's worldwide, the use of smart cards. Here, here are just uh, a few of the news bulletins from the November issue of the uh, smart, smart Card Alliance uh, news groups. And listen to the various places. That's what I, that's what I want, to, want you to notice here. Paris, transit operator to use smart cards. Chinese, child health care program uses smart cards. Visa puts dollars behind smart cards in Asia Pacific. Canadian University switches to smart cards. Japanese company says it will issue 8.5 million smart cards. Turkish bank aims for combined military ID and payment card. African countries use smart card to smart card technology. Australian bank begins switch to smart cards. United Kingdom to issue smart cards to asylum seekers. Smart cards gain ground in North America. Bay Area to test smart cards for transit. I, you can see, and certainly the people that are in the know can see, that these two technologies are made for each other, you see. Have this little thing, less, this smaller than a grain of rice, implanted in you. And, and that's a great way, to, by the way, to keep other people from using your smart card. If it's sewn in your body, when you use it, you have to be the person using it. Do you understand? Linked with this was a Gallup poll that was taken on October 31st. The title of it is, Americans Want Tighter Security at Any Cost. And they go through uh, the survey that they conducted, questioning Americans about their willingness to give up certain rights and privacies in exchange for greater safety and security. And uh, they were overwhelming. As you know, if you've been following the news at all. People are, if it's, if it's going to give me safety... I'll do it. I'm willing to give up a few things to get peace and safety. And the most surprising one to me was, I didn't, I didn't realize this, we who historically pride ourselves on guarding our privacy, 51% of the, of the people surveyed are uh, supportive of the establishment of a national identification card for all United States residents. Now, that may not sound a lot, but that's a huge jump. It probably would have been like 2% before September 11th. It's, 
I want to take advantage of the times that we're living in to preach God's Word. Isn't it amazing that the times we're living in is like a little preview, if you will, of the end times. It's like a warning shot across our bow. With one event, God brought about so many things in the whole world, not just this country, that simulate in a small way what we're going to see in the end times, which has to be right around the corner. It's like God is setting the stage for the drama that is to come. It's a very short drama. It's only going to last seven years. But it's like on September 11th, like when you go to a play, you know, and they dim the lights two minutes before the show starts. It was like God dimming the light, saying, okay, it's about to begin. One of the things that I've been intrigued about, I'm going to finish up on the subject of the, of the, of the uh, mark, being a computer scientist. Uh, it's always troubled me how, uh, if the mark would be used to keep track of people, how would you say store all that data? That's a lot of data to keep track of people, if that's indeed what this mark is going to keep track of people. And, and you understand the advantages. Besides keeping track of the elderly or, or rescuing someone who's lost, um, if you notice, the guy at Digital Solutions said, we can use it for following terrorists or criminals. People are all for that, right? But if it's used to keep track of, of everybody in the end times, that's a lot of data. But uh, as, as I looked at it, let me, I'm going to go through an exercise with you and show you that right now we're at a place where it's quite feasible. Right now. A company, let alone someone who rules the world, could easily start right now using these things to keep track of everyone in the world. And I'm going to use the word bite in my discussion here. This is not the thing that you take out of a sandwich or that an angry dog might take out of your leg. But uh, if that's what you think, by the time we leave her, that's fine. It's not important you know what a byte is. But you, you're probably familiar with the idea that it's a measure of storage, either in memory or disk, in computer talk. How much would it take for uh, the Antichrist to keep track of everyone in the world, where they are at all times? At first blush, it sounds impossible. But let me uh, work it out, and I'll show you. It's really quite easy. Using GPS, by the way... Uh, GPS is really a system of 24 satellites, each of which sends down a, an encoded pseudo-random signal to the receiver. And by that, using three or four of these satellites, it can, it can tell you your position. It used to be like within a mile. They're down to like within a meter now, using very simple techniques and ground-based um, correction receivers as well. So let's pretend now that... Uh, the Antichrist is going to keep track of everyone's position in the world, let's say, every five minutes. Six billion people in the world. At one byte per person storage, that would be six gigabytes of data. The problem is to record your position in latitude and longitude, it takes eight bytes for latitude, eight bytes for uh, longitude. So that's 16 bytes per reading times six billion people. That's 100 gigabytes of data. So with 100 gigabytes of storage, uh, someone could keep track of everyone's position once. Let's say you want to do it every five minutes. Well, that's 300 a day, 300 of these measurements a day. Now we're getting out of gigabytes, and we're talking about the next level up. It would take 30 terabytes a day. That's, that's a lot of data, a terabyte of data. In fact, you don't really hear that word. You hear gigabytes nowadays, but not terabytes. Right now on the World Wide Web, there are, in all, the whole, the whole uh, world, every web page, there are only 100 terabytes of data worldwide. So a terabyte is a lot of data. And we're talking about 30 terabytes per day to keep track of everyone. Well, per month, it would be 1,000 terabytes. No one in the world has that kind of storage except maybe the NSA, our top spy agency. 
So it's starting to look prohibitive. But there's a trick here, you see. After your initial position had been recorded in, uh, what was it, 100 gigabytes, from that point on, it's not necessary to use 16 bytes to record your position in latitude and longitude because you don't move very far. In fact, typically, you know how far you've moved in the last uh, 45 minutes? <laughs> your position hasn't changed in 45 minutes. So, the last nine readings for this whole room is zero if you just record the, where you've moved, your change in position. Are you with me? And to record your change in position easily could be done in about uh, 300 uh, bytes per day. Easily cover everyone. When you sleep, you know, your, your position doesn't change. Even during the day, you may drive for a little bit, but then you go sit down at your office or whatever. Or you're at home and you're, and you're sitting. And if, if you're going to resolve people's position to within a radius of, say, 10 meters, that's generally what's done nowadays, that's a radius of uh, 30 feet. If you just stay within your home, your position doesn't change. So very easily, someone could keep track of our position five minutes a day, everyone in the world, and that would only take, per day, uh, 1,800 gigabytes, not 10 terabytes. The bottom line is, you've heard of Seagate, many of you. They make disks. They have a disk called the Barracuda 180 that can store 1,800 gigabytes, and they sell it. They say $1,900. I found a place on the web, globalmicro.com, that sells it for $1,300. So for $1,300 a day, someone could fill up one of these disks with the position of everyone in the world and keep track from there on out. That's uh, pocket change for companies. That would require a budget of $40,000 a month to keep that kind of data, or about a half a million a year. I work on one project at the lab out of hundreds of projects. That's, that's less than our hardware costs to do that. So you, add in, you can add in lots of other data, everything. Your heart rate, your respiratory rate. And right now, we are at a place where it would be very easy to monitor everyone in the world. Basically, minute by minute. Well, I said the second subject I want to talk about, and it's really linked with this idea of the mark. I'm not going to just talk about isolated subject. There's a connection. Because when I read Revelation, let's go back to Revelation now, it, it's, it amazes me, and I think it amazes you when you think about it, that the world is going to worship a man. Doesn't that blow you away? And you, and you wonder, how in the world can that happen? We need to remember what the times are going to be like, and I'm so glad I'm preaching this right now, because we know in a small way... We had a foretaste three months ago. Now that event on September 11th is nothing compared to what's going to be happening on the earth during the last three and a half years of planet earth. And yet this one event charged the world with fear. People around the whole world experienced fear and anxiety. And many to this day haven't gotten over it. You realize we're already three months removed from it. Seems incredible, doesn't it? Three months is going to be a long time in uh, the Great Tribulation. And the events that are going to be coming are going to be so catastrophic. Like Jesus said, it will be a time such as the world has never seen or will ever see again. We cannot comprehend the terror and the fear and the fright and the worry and the anxiety of everyone on the earth. Remember, that, remember the times that people will be living in. Look back at uh, Luke 21 real quick. We read this last week. Jesus gives such a graphic description of what it's going to be like for people. Luke 21, verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear 
and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Now, we can relate to this. We saw our country shaken to its foundation three months ago. And it was an experience of having the ground cut out from under you, so to speak. Imagine what it's going to be like when the, the whole universe is being shaken on a regular basis. How, how could he have put it more clearly? Of, uh, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming. Something just happened. What's next? You know, remember that, that was our thought. And it still is. That's what it's going to be like. And there is going to be something coming. God says it will. And if he says it, it'll come. And just when we're reeling, you know, from the, uh, the last ca- catastrophe, we're saying, what next? Bang, there it comes. There's another one. Imagine living then, living here at that time. Let me just remind you of two of the things we looked at. The last two trumpets. The fifth one. For five months, people on the earth are going to be tormented tortured. Remember that? Five months. And the pain is going to be so bad that people are going to want to die. The, the sixth one, listen to this now, as best you can, try to comprehend this. The sixth trumpet. One third of the people on the earth are going to die. Two billion people dead. And that's after the fifth trumpet. And there's a fourth and a third and a second. And there were the seals. And after this comes the bowls. Fear. Terror. Anxiety. People are going to want security and safety and peace the way we've been seeking it in this country now. So bad. And right at that time, there's going to be a man who emerges who's going to promise that. And he's not going to be like any man that's ever been. It's just plainly in 2 Thessalonians that he's going to be working miracles. Can you imagine that? I'll tell you, when this guy appears and he, uh, uh, he offers this mark, by the way, if it is something, I don't know if it's going to be something like the digital angel, but let's say it is. And by the way, we forgot to mention a couple of other things that are going to be going on simultaneously. Remember the second seal. The first seal was the uh, rider on the white horse with a bow, which we believe typifies Antichrist in conquering without war by treaty. The second one was, it says that peace will be removed from the earth. Men will kill one another. And remember we said that that's not war. He doesn't use the word war there. It's anarchy. It's terrorism. It's what we're seeing right now. It, makes, it, it runs a chill up my spine to read those words. He will remove peace from the earth so that men will kill one another. You think we've had a plague of school shootings and business shootings like the one last week. You ain't seen nothing yet. When God removes the restrainer, i.e. the Holy Spirit, in holding back people from doing uh, what comes into their mind, it, all hell is going to break loose, literally. And people will be killing one another. On top of the cataclysms that God is bringing. Add on top of that, in the middle of the tribulation, remember we saw last time in chapter 12, that is when Satan is cast out of heaven and he comes down to the earth. And what did they say? They said, woe to you who dwell on the earth. For the devil has come down to you knowing that he has but a short time. And so he's going to be doing his thing, primarily to the nation of Israel, but clearly from that passage to the whole world as well. So the earth is going to be really, people are going to be uh, almost dying from fear. And, and this, this Savior is going to come onto the stage performing His miracles, no doubt promising through this mark safety. You can see it. We can see it right now. Right? It's these, the digital angel and these others and the smart cards, are, their primary selling point is it'll give you peace and safety and security. Incredible. People are going to jump at it. I was talking to Don about this several weeks ago, you know. And he made the comment, put it there. That's where people are right now. I'm ready. You know, if it means 
protection and safety and security. I'll take it. So the mark, you see, I believe will be welcome to most people. We can see that now. We can see how that could be. That most people are going to willingly say, yeah, please, do it. If it means protecting me, if it means giving me peace and safety, yeah, do it. Now, it's interesting that during times of distress, that's often when people think of God. And God can often use dangers, uh, troubles in our lives to bring us to himself. Most of you won't know my testimony. I was run over by a truck. And that didn't even do it. It took, I hope you understand when I say it this way, getting married. And when I say that, what I mean is, yeah, I know. (laughs) It wasn't her, it was me. It took getting married for God to show me my sin. You see? And, and I want you to understand, that's the key. Because running over the truck, I mean, that was like September 11th for me. I should have been killed. I was really messed up bad. But I didn't get any further than my need for God to get me out of that scrape. You see, when I called out to God, it was, God, I'm about to die, help me. It was a foxhole prayer. You've heard that. A lot of prayers in foxholes. Foxhole prayers don't save us. And maybe you're in the position, maybe you've sought God, maybe you're seeking God now because you're in, a, you're in a fix, you're in a bind, you're in distress. You have problems in your life. You say, God, fix my problems, fix my distress. That's, that's what people are going to be in, in, in the end times. But that won't do it. We don't come to God and say, God, what I need is, you get me out of my problem. Because we have a deeper problem we need to see. And ever since creation, people would prefer to come to God as a problem fixer rather than a savior for their sins. And that's what it takes. And it's interesting that the day of prayer we had after September 11th, it was not a national day of repentance. It was the first kind of coming to God. Lord, help us out of our problem. And people have been doing that through the ages. People have sought God for the wrong reason rather than being willing and coming and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. You're a holy God. I don't deserve the time of day from you. That's what it takes to come to God. And yet people are going to be in such distress that they're not going to want to come to the God that tells them about their sin. But they're going to come to this this man who works miracles and offers them peace and safety and freedom from their troubles, you see. It's like a form of judgment. And ironically, people are going to be coming to Satan rather than God and worshiping the devil rather than him. God says we must come to him by faith. We want sight. We want, we want miracles, you know. We want to see things. We want to touch. God says... Believe me about sin, about hell, about the cross. Take my word for it. That's not asking too much, is it? We don't want that. Even though it's true that I'm a sinner and hell-bound, I don't want God to save me from that. I want Him to save me from my problems. And so in the waning years of planet Earth, we, when I say we, I'm talking about humans, will turn from God, reject Him, and embrace this blaspheming miracle worker. Gladly. Imagine that. Verses 3 and 4 says they marveled, then they followed, and then they worshipped the beast. Verse 4 has a phrase in it that chilled me. Look at verse 4. The, the uh, worship that's being offered up is in this form. The phrase is, Who is like the beast. What does that remind you of? Yeah, you know where it is? 
Yeah, it's Moses' prayer in Exodus. Who, we sing the song. Who is like unto thee, O Lord among the gods? That's the one who deserves that kind of a phrase. You see, but when people hear this guy and when they see him and when he does these things, they're going to be so enthralled that they're going to worship him and end up doing what Romans 1 says, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Well, is the mark something like digital angel? I don't know. I can't say with authority. The significance is that on September 11th, God showed the world, not just us, how quickly and willingly we will give up something in order to achieve peace and safety. And yet, September 11th is nothing compared to the great drama that's about to unfold. And I believe God is, is dimming the lights. He's saying the stage is set and the drama is about to begin. But this isn't a play we're going to sit and watch when I say we, I mean the people on the earth. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to be a participant. You're going to be in it. So my question for you is, who are you going to go to for peace and safety? A deceiver and a liar? Or the one who said, I am the truth? The prince of darkness? Or the prince of peace? Will you receive the mark of the beast? Or come to the one who has marks in his hand? Marks of his love for you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word as we read this passage this morning. It chills our hearts to think of the things that are going to come. And at the same time, it thrills our hearts when we realize how near we are to seeing your face. And we do pray with the apostle in this book, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And as we pray that, Lord, we know that the answer is coming very soon. We ask for anyone here, oh Lord, if they know that you're speaking to them, if they've been hearing you knock on the door of their heart, that they might not put it off another day. They may not have another day. We ask they might come to you now, that they might take you as their Savior and Lord, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Thank you.